Hello folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life. Our program is supported by your gifts, but it's brought to you out of the heart of two ministries. One is Church Partnership Evangelism, where I've been the executive director for over 30 years. We're a disciple-making ministry among the nations. To learn more, go to traincpe.org. The other ministry is the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, where I'm the Bible teacher. And this is the word we feed on. We've been considering the background for the book of Haggai. A remnant of the Jews has been miraculously returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple that had been torn down during the time of their exile in Babylon. But they found the job difficult and the resistance great, and they have not followed the miracle of their return with a faithful effort to build the temple. Haggai arrives to call them back into the labor to rebuild what has been torn down. There is an application here for our church in this day. We have been in exile, and our churches have suffered, and it's time to rebuild, but we have to be faithful. It became discouraging to them, and for other reasons they stopped, but we have to admit and we have to acknowledge that there was a danger coming up eventually, even when Nehemiah will come later to help them rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. As they rebuilt the walls, they had to rebuild the walls while they were each holding spears in one hand and doing the work with the other hand because there was such profound resistance against them. And we have to believe that that's the kind of resistance that this remnant was facing as well. And they were vulnerable. There weren't very many of them, and there were a lot of the Samaritans in the land at that time. The Samaritans didn't seem to want to listen to the decree of Cyrus. Instead, they were telling lies and sending it back and bribing people in his administration, trying to do everything they could to halt that work. They became discouraged, and they, they stopped. After two years, they stopped. But here's another lesson to learn. We exist as a great miracle. The church rises up because of a great miracle that God has done giving birth to us. And, and we are, every, in every place, we are, in every place where you find the church, we share this legacy of this miraculous work of God. And Christ has decreed, what did Jesus say of the church? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know what that means? The gates of hell are pressing hard against it. I'll build it. The ministry of building God's church is hard. And where Satan has thought that he was successful in stopping the progress of the church, at the point in time in which we're trying to, in a sense, reconstruct or rebuild the church, it's harder still. Once he somehow gains an advantage and he thinks he's brought down the flag of the church, he resists all the more in letting it raise itself. I have a burden for the church today. And I'm not just speaking of our church. I'm speaking of the church here in North America, but actually it's the church worldwide. I have a burden that I think is ongoing. COVID-19 has brought about, and I think it's a masterstroke of the enemy, unwillingly or willingly, it's brought about the limitation and even the complete restriction of the body of Christ gathering together regularly for worship, for instruction, and for prayer. The very things that we were commissioned to do. For the last year almost, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of churches that have not met to learn the teaching of the apostles together, to fellowship together, to break bread together, to pray together. That's the pattern that began on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2 verse 42 tells it that the church after this gathered regularly. They continued in these things. The apostles' doctrine, 
the fellowship with one another, the breaking of bread, that fellowship that was based on rejoicing in the common life they had in Jesus Christ together, the breaking of bread that is the rehearsing and remembering of the body that he offered up to bring the forgiveness of sins and the blood that he shed for the forgiveness of sins. And it says for prayer. They didn't all discover that they could go to their homes and just do church online. They didn't all discover that they could all go to their homes and to their closets and that their prayers would be just as powerful in their closets. They were drawn together to worship and pray and seek God's face. And even before Pentecost came, they tarried together in one place. As much as they could, they wanted to be together because they understood that there was power and there was energy and God's Spirit was present in the united prayers of His people, in the united instruction of His people. Through tremendous persecution, the church held so dear this fellowship that at the risk of life and limb, they gathered and met. At the risk of being thrown to the lions, they gathered and met. They met in caves, and they met in the catacombs or graves of people, and they met in secret groves, and they met in hidden places. I've met people who have met in that type of situation, who have been forced to meet in those situations, forced, I say, because they were determined to meet. Forced to meet in those situations in countries in Africa where there was aggressive persecution against the Christians. I remember sitting down with an old man who had been in a gulag for years because he was the leader of a church, a Baptist church in Russia. And he had only recently been released. But he shared with me how they gathered together in secret groves and people would gather together and come at separate times, but it was all arranged that they might meet together in order to fulfill their great desire to be instructed together and to pray together and to worship together. It's gone on out throughout the history of the church. But in the last year, because of our fear, or the fear that we've been made to have, that some among us might become fall prey to a sickness that falls upon a small percentage of individuals, the church has ceased meeting, and not simply here in America, but all over the world. It's not simply that we've not been gathering our churches, we've not been gathering in our homes. God forbid, we've thought, that we should take the chance of bringing this contagion into our homes. And we've not been praying together. Around the world, they've not been praying together. And you have to imagine and think that this has had a tremendous negative impact on the work of God. God is still working. Christ has said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. But the enemy must think that he's laid a master stroke against us. We've not been in Babylon in exile so long, but we've been exiled from one another evacuated from our places of worship. But we're coming now to that time in which the government is going to blow the horn. The government is going to say, now it's safe for you to go back to your bars, it's safe for you to go back to your sports venues, it's safe for you to go back to your concerts, it's safe for you all to go back to your restaurants that you like to eat at. And so the faithful in the church will also say, it must be safe for us to go back and meet together, worship together and pray together. And we'll gather again. I'm so thankful that our church has been able to find a way to keep meeting since May. But they'll gather together. And, but there are churches. I, I know there are thousands of churches, not only in America, but around the world that are still not meeting. Many of them are waiting, and most countries around the world look to get their cue from America. So when we blow the horn, they'll start blowing the horn. You'll see. And what I fear is that less will return that went out. It will be a remnant that will be brought back together. But when they gather together to worship again, it, it still will be 
a great miracle of God. It will still be a great orchestration of God's hand. And before them will be a profound work. The work will be to reconstruct the church so that it might raise up people who know the faith and live the faith and bring others to the faith and so bring glory to God. The church will have to renew its hand and its purpose of why they're designed to be together. It wasn't simply that we might enjoy one another. It's nice. It wasn't simply so that we might boost ourselves once a week with some good singing, which is nice. But it's so that together we might be a part of the great commission to lay the foundation and build up the temple of God in this place and in this land and around the world. That would be our call. And when we come to that point, here's what I want you to see, and we'll talk about it next week. We're going to discover that it's hard. It's hard to reconstruct those things that we've left off for whatever reason, for whatever the reason the enemy has caused. We'll need the Spirit to come upon us and help us and aid us. We'll need to have him give us courage and resistance, and we can't we can't be dissuaded from our task by the resistance or the lack of progress because it'll be slowed. We can't say, as the Jews said at that time, now is not the time. And go into a delay in the things that God has given us. We'll have to be faithful to carry on. We'll talk about the great encouragement that Haggai gave to the people at that time. The great message, we haven't got there yet. The great message that Haggai was sent to give to the people. But it was a call for them to remember the miracle of their rising up and the great honor and privilege that God had given them and to resist the temptation to retreat and back away from that work which even as they retreated and back away from that work they didn't back away from seeking the progress of their own lives they were still busy at building their own house and the work they had found a reason to say well we can't be about God's work but we we can't be about our own comforts well, that's going to have to be shed what Haggai shares with them you consider your ways, he says in verse 7 of Haggai chapter 1. You consider your ways and see what has been your priority over the last 14 years. You remember what God has miraculously done. You remember the body that you're a part of because of the great miracle that God has performed and the great commission that God has given you to do. Get back to it. and Get back to it. Go up, he says, to the mountain. Go up to do these things again. And I think this is where we're at in our church. It's time for us to go up. Go up to the service that God has given us to rebuild, to reach individuals, to reach lost people, to pray for them, intercede for them, and bring our witness before them, to call them to a place where they can grow and know Him, to find those who have wandered away who we've not seen for some time, to seek to compel them to gather once again together in this place to worship, to go out to seek more and more for the Savior. It's our great privilege. We're here because of a great miracle of God, a great miracle of God. We want to be obedient to him. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. How wonderful, how glorious are your works and your ways, O God. How true to yourself and your goals to be exalted in all the earth. What a great honor and privilege that in the pursuit of your own glory, which by the way is the only thing that brings a blessing to the nations, the only thing that brings a blessing to our world, the only thing that begins to allow it to function with any sense of balance is when, God, you are at the center of all things. And we in your church have been commissioned to bring that message that puts God at the middle of all things and calls all men to return to him, that there is forgiveness to be found in him, there is redemption to be found in him, that a provision has been made to cover and wash their sins and make them new, that there's a great 
work to be done to glorify Him among all people that gives us meaning and purpose and wraps us up and brings us into the movement of God who rules over all the ages. And we, your people, are a part of this. We're at the center of it. How we glorify you. How we praise you. How we thank you for the opportunity to work with Ignacio Morales and Maylene and with Mark and Cheryl and the work of that little mission institute in Huatacocha, Ecuador and the Ninawachi Mission Institute where indigenous young men and women are coming and learning how to serve the church and how to plant churches and how to reach lost people and then are being sent back after only a couple of years to do that work in dark, remote places. Oh God, how we thank you for that. Lord, help us to take as seriously the work that you've given us to stand for you and represent you in this neighborhood, in this city, in our nation. And realize that we're here by a great privileged miracle that you've bestowed upon us. And that in every place where we gather, we reflect that miracle. And so let us be found faithful to you. Glorying in the salvation that comes to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Glorying in such a way that we give ourselves to his priorities above our own. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. May this govern the decisions we make for our lives, answering the great miracle of our salvation and the great mission that you've placed upon your church. We ask in Jesus' name. I'm compelled to give out a call to all our listeners. Give yourself to building Christ's church in this age. Find a local church that is bound to the Word of God and exalts the person of Christ and there build up the temple of God's presence in your community. This has been the Bread of Life. To learn more about this ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.